0: Psychology in Seattle. So, Bob, I recently did a deep dive on schema therapy. Have you heard of schema therapy before? No. It's a form of therapy that isn't widely used and obviously not super popular since you've never even heard of it Mm -hmm. before. It's not one of the major theories, but I find it to be actually extremely useful. Mm -hmm. And I'm starting to modify the theory to my own way of thinking to to make it more make it make more sense to me, which I think would be fine to the authors of the original theory. You know, I'm sure they wanted people to expand on it and make it particular to them. And as I'm doing that, I find that I'm trying to find real life examples to apply to the theory to test it to expand on it to give it more life yeah and in the four or five hour deep dive that i did on schema therapy which is available to patrons only and if people want to listen to it i published it a couple weeks ago and yet you got to become a patron to listen to it i uh as i was making the episode i started to modify it even during those five hours Mm -hmm. i started thinking oh i think i want to change that Mm -hmm. i think i want to change that and so I thought as a way of furthering my understanding of it, which I think I'm going to actually start using not only with my clients, with myself, with my students, I think it actually is, is a pretty useful model for therapists to understand their vulnerabilities and their countertransference. transference Oh, nice. Yeah. And so I thought I would spring this on you and run you through the model and have you tell me how you would apply it to yourself. Okay. So there's this, there's these different areas. Like we go back in time in terms of like core emotional needs that one needs when you're growing up and in your life Mm -hmm. and identifying which ones were met and maybe which ones were not so met. Mm -hmm. And then the development of schemas as a result, schemas are ways of looking at the world, but they're deep personality traits. They're Mm -hmm. not just like perspectives. Yeah. And then. We develop coping styles to deal with those schemas, and then we develop modes that are more general modes that we go into that are a conglomeration of those schemas and coping styles. Oh, we're talking layers. yeah. and then it helps us to understand the our vulnerabilities, our self-talk issues, our Uh, relationship issues our sensitivities at work our emotions our needs better i think i think it's a i think it's a very good model but as i said when i went through the the schema therapy model that was put forth by jeffrey young i found that it some of it didn't really resonate with me so i thought maybe we'd tease that out together what do you say let's play with it and let's see what sort of schemas you have, Bob, sure. as a result of your upbringing. We've sure. talked about that before, have. but but not in this way. Not in this way. So I'm going to run you through the 18 different schemas that Young put forth oh. and see which schemas, if at all, you might have developed early in life.
1: So are you saying that a person might have some of these probably not all of them is that the idea got it okay yeah I'm in
0: right so there's 18 different schemas that Young put forth I'm thinking about altering them or adding to them a little bit and uh, they describe them there's even a measure that I've altered somewhat to make it more easily readable Mm -hmm. in terms of like do you agree or disagree with this statement to test out which schemas you might even have
1: oh how interesting yeah
0: so let's do it and let's see what happens what do you say sure this is the Psychology in Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Dr.
1: Kirk Honda. I'm a therapist and a professor. Who are you, Bob? I am someone who hasn't said no. <laughs> I'm Bob Gettle. I'm a therapist here in practice in Seattle, and your friend from graduate school way back when.
0: Yeah, so I sprung this on Bob. He sat down. He came over, and I was like, okay, well, let's just, because I guess there's a possibility Bob would have said, nah, I don't want to do it. Sure. Then I guess I would have turned off the recorder and uh, strangled him it's until he agreed to it. No, just joking. Yeah, um, I would have, I guess, chosen a different topic. So thank God, Bob is agreeing to this. <laughs> um, I'm actually also going to do this with Umberto as well, and uh, it's to again further my understanding of this sure. and, and give it more. So I'm actually going to look for your responses, and I might even be typing it into my notes to give it more life, sure, more like examples. Oh, real really. real life examples you want it to be robust. Yeah. yeah. So, this episode is just for patrons of the podcast. So, if you want to listen to this episode in its entirety, you have to become a patron of the podcast by going to patreon.com. That's patreon.com. This episode should be about an hour and a half, maybe two hours. And we're going to dive into Bob's schema. So, go to patreon.com, become a patron, do it now, and do it fast because I don't know what else to say. <laughs> <laughs> All right, welcome to the Patron Zone people. So this is again my modified version of jeffrey young 's model so let 's um, you know consider that also if anyone out there wants to come on the show and actually have me assess them not as a clinical assessment, of course, but as a as a discussion between two humans that are just on a podcast. Uh, I'd be happy to do that with people because I think it might, again, it, I, I'm looking for real life examples to incorporate into the model because the the model and because there's a book that I have on schema therapy and there's various research articles on it and there's not a lot of uh, real life examples to really flesh it out because we're talking about all of humans. You know, every human's sensitivities every human's reaction to their sensitivities you know so I, I, I think it's helpful to have that all kind of fleshed out
1: um, hey if I'm hearing right yeah, this is a model that's not based on pathology
0: uh right, it's not like correlation. It doesn't correlate with any particular pathology, oh, right? Okay, with like personality disorders or anything. I mean, there's yeah. some talk about that, but it see. doesn't really map onto that very well. Some things kind of, and we'll, yeah. you'll notice some some narcissistic things, some borderline things, sure. some histrionic things. But it's but it's not clear, and I, it's almost like. They just started over from scratch, which is, I think is kind of cool. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually has changed, you know, because I've relied on the personality disorder model to help me understand human beings. Sure. And to pro- provide those categories. Mm-hmm. But I find that this is more micro, and I think... It, captures more people. Mm-hmm. You know how there's like some personality issues and you're just like, well, there's there's no real correlate to a personality disorder. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like this, but it doesn't really. Mm-hmm. Well, schema therapy is flexible enough that it can capture certain kinds of people that wouldn't be represented. It also differentiates between different kinds of personality disorder people, if that makes any sense. Sure. But they, but they don't even... I think it's just sort of obvious. But anyway.
1: Yeah, they don't necessarily think that way. No. Yeah.
0: Okay. So core emotional needs. So sure. we've got to start there. That's okay. that's where all this begins. We're basically born with these core emotional needs. We have certain needs for and I and they they put forth a bunch of needs, but I, I made my own categories. And so I have number one. Uh, secure attachment mm-hmm. so this is for you know our need for love mm-hmm. our need for nurturance our need for attention attunement empathy validation of feelings validation of needs so for you Bob growing up was that need complicated at all?
1: Yeah very complicated How so? Oh um, um, well in a nutshell um, my father had a temper problem And so it was sort of a moving target in terms of how safe he was. Um, And um, uh, it's hard to say um, about my experience with my mom. It's um, a bit fuzzy. Uh, Not so great in lots of ways. Um, My my poor parents actually started out uh, with very little of their own emotional support. And they got married at, at you know common for them at the time in their early twenties, um, and uh, were pretty much on their own and did not have in uh, from what I know either them a very safe or secure upbringing. My dad's parents were aloof. Uh, or his father in particular his mom i think present but she um was diagnosed with breast cancer when he was um born and she was 42 at the time my my dad's parents were late bloomers um and she died when he was 15 and uh, the little bit i know about his growing up it's kind of a weird place and then my mom um grew up uh um for financial reasons she, she, her parents moved back in with her Paternal grandparents, and that created a kind of a shitty power struggle under the roof. And um, my my mom's family's Irish Catholic. And so her father, I think, is somewhat common for Irish Catholic, particularly at the time, was absent. Um, and um, her mother, I think, removed, remote, and distant, though very interested in her education. She made sure—my mom has two sisters and a brother. She made sure that— um, uh, all the girls went to college, but the two choices were teaching or nursing. So her two sisters are nurses, and my mom was a teacher back in the day. Anyways, um, so for the, that, for um, somewhat unusual at the time, but my mom uh, was college educated back in the fifties. And um, but so her um, her mother passed when she was twenty one or two, twenty two, I think, right before she got married, right before my mother got married. Anyway, so my folks were pretty much on their own and um, I think being on their own with the kind of um, experiences they had created a kind of limitation and then they had four kids so I was born my father was 27 my mom's about 26 and you know I, I, I remember being 27 26 and I remember my own emotional maturity and I didn't have children and they had two at the time I was born I'm the third of four um, my folks are Catholic Uh, their Catholic um, uh, Catholicism very important to both of them and also created some challenges because the Catholics have a lot of rules about stuff that weren't working for, particular my mom. Like what? Uh, um, Like, like uh, the rule against um, um, birth control. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So she went to the priest after I was born and said to him, I don't want to have any more kids. And the priest said to her, this is just mind-boggling to me that somebody could be so hubristic, said to her, well, it's your duty to have sex with your husband and birth control is a sin, so there you go. (laughs) So she said, fuck you, in her heart, I think. That was a big loss for her. Um, And went on the pill. Yeah. Um, And then went off the pill and they decided to have uh, a fourth child, my brother. Um, I think the only one of us that was planned. But... They had four kids by the time my dad was 30, and my mom was 29, so they have ver- no familial support, and uh, my dad's an only child. Um,
0: So they're also raised uh, not well, not right? Not well. And might not have had good models for how yes. to be attuned. Thank you. And nurturing.
1: That's what I mean to say.
0: And caring. Yeah. And also of the time it was the 70s you're expected to um, you know care for your kids enough Mm -hmm. and kids are supposed to kind of fend for themselves Yeah, Yeah. and you're expected to have a lot of kids in Catholic households so we had a Catholic family down the street they had like I don't know 10 kids or Uh, something. Yeah we were pretty small for a Catholic family. Right and I mean, my family wasn't Catholic. We had four. I'm third right. of fourth, as you know right. as well. Yeah, um, th- uh, third of four kids, and you just kind of get lost in the shuffle. Yeah. Even if you're, you know, it, there's this notion of just like, well, I love all my kids equally, okay. Mm-hmm. But there's a law of diminishing returns. Eventually, <laughs> you, 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 the the notion that you could possibly pay attention and love uh, ten kids the amount that they need to be loved Mm -hmm. is absurd right uh anyone at most people out there today they have you know one to three kids Mm -hmm. three kids is actually kind of a lot these days yeah Yeah. and you just ask those people okay now imagine you had eight kids between the ages of zero and ten right
1: uh
0: some of them you're going to forget their names you know (laughs) so
1: so And, and depending on how nuclear your family is if it's just your family, you're just your growing up family, The that's the, all the support. Y- you do get lost in the shuffle. Was that you? Oh, yeah. My folks had very little support. So, we had n- almost no contact with anybody else. Right. So um, it was pretty much them two. Right. And us four.
0: Right. Yeah. So not a lot of uh, resources, even if your parents were raised well, to actually pay attention to you, love you, yeah. uh, give you the... Nurturing and validation Um, Again Parents back then don't necessarily Even have the notion of validating Your kids feelings there's still To this day but particularly back then Pretty big notion of like don't spoil Your kids don't let them You know let don't let them get their way Make sure they understand that life is hard (laughs) uh, Don't encourage A mama's boy Mm. You know make sure that They're tough and all that kind of stuff Uh, So uh, so both of your parents are suffering that way. And then, uh, so a challenged core emotional need of love and attention, that we'll say. And then the second core emotional need is for safety, stability, and predictability. So this is obviously challenged by what you said about your dad being yeah. being scary, yeah, right?
1: pretty scary guy.
0: And were you stable in terms of like the neighborhood you lived in and that kind of thing?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, nice place to grow up. Um, yeah, that was fine. That part of things. And my folks um, looked after our basic physical needs, you know,
0: what about basic predictability Uh, on your day to day life? uh, No predictability uh, because your dad, Yeah, like, it's like, you don't know what kind of dad you're going to get on a given day.
1: My dad uh, was a CPA and the times that felt safest were during tax season because he worked very long hours. And so he wouldn't be home till eight or nine at night. Uh, Those were, uh, times where I felt safer.
0: That's heartbreaking to think that you actually remember that. You remember thinking, like, "Geez, beginning of April—that's when my life was was yeah. was best." best. <laughs>
1: to because yeah. my dad just literally wasn't home very much. I can still hear the sound of his wingtips coming up the steps. It's funny when I got out of college, I worked in this place in uh, this um, agency, and um, a friend of mine, her dad, wore wingtips. To the wingtips are very heavy shoe very clunky. And her memory of wingtips was uh, about delight because when her father come home, you know, they would interact and play. And, um, my memory of my father's wingtips, I can still hear them walking up the front path and onto the porch. Uh, I'd fill with dread and my heart rate go up the whole thing. Cause didn't know what I was going to get at the very least. Um, aloofness and at most, um, his temper. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. So,
0: challenged emotional needs of love to challenged emotional needs of safety, obviously. Yeah. The third core emotional need that I've categorized here is a sense of identity and a freedom to express one's needs and emotions. Uh, Was that challenged?
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. My house, you're not permitted to be angry. The closest you can get is you can be tired. You can say you're tired. But you can't say you're angry. Can't interesting. Be angry. Um, anger generally would incur wrath or judgment or criticism.
0: So people would code their emotions as as tired instead yeah. of anything else.
1: Yeah. And um,
0: I actually know a family like that. That's interesting. Where uh, they will, I, I, they don't say that word, but they say a similar word mm-hmm. to that. And I've over the years I've realized, oh, they just use that word. For everything. for everything. And I've tried to get them to use a different, to use more specific words. Yeah. Um, but perhaps it's safer. Because safer. it's like, well, you, you can't do anything about it. That's a physical thing. You're yeah. tired. And everyone gets tired. Sure. And it's not threatening in some way. Mm-hmm. It's not accusatory. Yeah. yeah, It's it's just you're tired.
1: Also puts people off because nobody questions being tired. They just leave you alone. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. So you weren't allowed to be angry?
1: No. Were you
0: allowed to be happy? Like joyful? Like, yay!
1: Um, I wouldn't say I was disallowed for that. Uh, I don't think I remember feeling very much joyful. I was a kind of frenetic kid. I ran everywhere around the house, and that would drive my dad nuts. Um, uh, I think um, anything I did that was quiet would have been okay. Mm.
0: What about a sense of identity? a sense of who you are and uh, as, as developmentally normal it would yeah. be from the ages of 3 to 15.
1: Right. Um, you know, I would say that, that um, having a sense of identity uh, was not encouraged. Having a following the rules was encouraged um, and um, stepping off the path was dis- discouraged, I guess that's the way to put it. It's more like a euphemism.
0: So, it's hard to remember obviously back to when you were two, three, four. Of course. But the you might be able to detect with your younger brother in terms of how your parents reacted to young kids in terms of the kid is feeling tired or the kid's feeling angry or the kid is feeling happy or the kid is feeling sad and the you know, parents will point out oh i i see that you're sad that yeah. you have to not have that cotton candy um and i empathize with your sadness sure. but you're still not getting the cotton candy yeah. uh was there anything like that in no it? no
1: no uh not not good at those basic reflections and mirroring it's not um, a trait more like wipe that look off your face
0: right right mm. Okay, so I'm actually s- going to separate those two needs because I feel like they're quite different. Sense of identity re- and then number four, freedom to express one's needs and emotions. Obviously, they're related. They're related, yeah. But I think th- don't you think those are different enough to be in different categories? Same again. So a sense of identity, meaning the mirroring of emotions sure. and that thing. And then the other core emotional yeah. need of a freedom to express y- your, your emotions and needs.
1: You know, to speak up. They are different. One is reflective and the other one is, encourage, is um, flower blooming. You know, It's like uh, growing. One right. is growing and one is reflecting.
0: Right. So the fifth core emotional need here is spontaneous expression of emotions. Well, maybe I should combine that with the other one here. Might be. Uh, spontaneous expression of emotions. Thoughts play creativity and having other people accept it. Um, So I guess you've already talked about that. But any more words about creativity, that kind of thing? Uh,
1: My dad valued academic achievement. So to the degree that that's creative. um, Because
0: you're a creative guy. You you like to write. You like art Mm -hmm. and other kinds of things like that. And so uh, were you... were you allowed to do that or encouraged and accepted as a young person doing things like that?
1: I wasn't discouraged from uh, those kind of pursuits. Though I don't recall um, doing them very much. Um, You know, kids are seen and not heard. Mm. And a lot of times not even seen. Um, I don't think anybody would have stopped us from doing stuff. Though I remember being afraid to like borrow tools to work on my bike, right? Like I lived on that bike, man. I just lived on that thing. That was great. <laughs> Anyways, um, I um, I think we were also scared that we did that. We were um, we did not reach beyond ourselves very much. Hmm. Yeah, I see. So the fifth core emotional
0: need here is autonomy and competence. So. The notion that you are good at things and you are um, not terrible at things, that you can do things on your own within certain limits as age, as you get older, Uh, and this is involved with parents uh, being encouraging or praising or believing in you and not putting you down and not making you feel like you can't do anything. did, was that need
1: met? No. At, how, how so? Um, I think we were all just busy trying to survive. Um, even my po- folks were busy trying to survive. Nobody had that was just not on the radar. Uh, my folks did not encourage such things. I they didn't. They wouldn't discourage it actively, but they didn't encourage such things. They weren't. I wouldn't say they were proactive about it. I think they were both really taxed um uh both physically and also emotionally taxed and um it was enough to you know keep the house going
0: did you feel good like at the age of 16 20 did you feel like you could do things on your own if you wanted to
1: no i did things on my own um but no i i don't know no okay no
0: you felt like you would screw it up or you would need someone else to help you or yeah, that kind of stuff?
1: I wouldn't attempt much. Okay. Yeah.
0: Because you're just like, well, uh, like, did you have a thought like, oh, I want to do this, uh, but it's going to go badly.
1: No, um, more like it's just not in my kin. Like when I went to college, I was 19. I took a gap year. That's what they call it now, a gap year. And when I went to college and discovered that you could actually study shit that wasn't like math or English or, you know, whatever, that that, that was actually street legal, I, I was both, it was so weird. It was so weird that a person could study something like, I don't know, think of a...
0: Basket weaving.
1: Basket weaving. Yeah, right. Like I had a friend who was an art major, right? Like, I mean, that you could, that you could do, like, that, that, and that people felt free to do such a thing. You know, like I went to college, I'm like, I guess I'll be an engineer because that's what my brother did. Um, but I didn't really have any interest in math or science. But the idea that I might actually figure out what I had an interest in and have freedom to explore it, that was weird. Really, really weird. And I think I probably didn't take full advantage of all that was available in college um, as much as I could have. I don't know what I would be if I wasn't doing this. But I, when I was a senior, I took an acting class. And it was terrifying and awesome all at once. Hmm. Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah. Were you in a play or a production of some kind? Not in, not in college. I, I uh, was in a community theater play um, when I got out of college. Um, that was also wonderful and terrifying. Actually, when I got out of college is when I actually started to become me. Uh, more so because I, I didn't live at home anymore I lived where I lived and I didn't have any constraints I paid my own rent I was sort of on my own I worked three jobs and <laughs> uh, it was that was like a renaissance time for me
0: and that's when you got a job working with mentally ill people
1: yeah yeah. I got a job at a runaway shelter right out of school um, and then also at a psychiatric hospital with children working with children 4 to 13 both of them just wow I mean, eye-opening beginning experiences. But at the same time, I, was, I taught myself how to draw. Like, fucking fascinating. It's like, I imagine what it would feel like if you were a um, caterpillar and you discovered one day that you could actually spin a, spin a cocoon, like you actually had that in you. That's what learning to draw was like for me. And I actually had some competency at it, just completely self-taught, just because one day I had this idea about drawing my face and I sat in front of a mirror and I drew my face and i can look at it now and i can say it's not a very good drawing and it isn't it isn't but it actually showed aptitude and i'm like oh fuck i could actually do this and so i started doing it all the time i worked nights so you know uh, the kids would be sleeping in the hospital or wherever and i had time i'd have a bagel and some yogurt and i'd draw all night and um i i was in that play i mean that was terrifying to just even try out for the play and uh it was so fun but i was like I, I was um, becoming I was becoming so it was the first time in your
0: life when you had enough uh, space yeah. and lack of terror to actually think yeah. well, what do I want to do right and you did it yeah that's great so fun so the next need here number six is acceptance and praise did you get that growing up acceptance for who you are no. praise for who you are what, sometimes what you do
1: yeah yeah praise for what we did um um me probably a little bit more so than um my older sibs um my dad was hard on my sister i he it was i think it was hard for him to be a parent of a girl uh and i think she in many ways got the brunt um and my older brother pete i don't think he got much praise but peter uh very smart guy and very, very successful academically. Just really, just head down, worked really hard. And, um, but I don't recall him getting much praise. What well, my folks would say to us that was praise-ish, that drives me crazy as an adult, is w- when we went to church, they would, they would tell us, everybody says, you guys are such great kids. You guys are the best thing we ever did. He would say that a lot. uh, Not a lot, but he would say that uh, more more consistently than other things. And uh, the reason I find it maddening is because we were all so fucking scared all the time. And to be praised for being a good kid because you're scared to raise your voice and say anything real.
0: Yeah. (sighs) What an irony. Yeah. (laughs) That everyone's like, uh, you know, it's like looking at a, I guess if there was a visualization you would have, like, one of those shock collars on <laughs> and, a, and a leash uh-huh. and these bindings that keep your hands to your side yeah. and you're in shackles on your legs and then you're walking around clanking your chains everywhere and occasionally <laughs> being shocked and then everyone, lo- and no one, none of the other kids are going through that and the parents are like,
1: oh, what well-behaved kids? Yeah yeah that's a that's a great image that's pretty much what it was like and i you know i don't want to fault my parents um uh they they believed i think in what they were doing and they had as you said earlier no models for themselves i mean my brother danny is really amazing dad i don't know how the hell he learned it your little brother yeah
0: yeah you've seen him pairing his kids oh yeah
1: yeah and he's in love with them he's just since he had his son that's all he talks about when I when I speak with him he talks about the kids and he just lights up and he's so passionate about it and um, not without his rough edges but um, really really great dad but he did not learn that from uh, from growing up yeah I don't know how he learned it yeah yeah did he
0: have his older siblings to help him raise like, him raise him?
1: Maybe. There's six years difference between my brother Pete and Danny, uh the youngest. Um and Peter was Well, Peter was present for Danny, uh so maybe some of it came from that. I I don't know. I think my brother um in some way being the youngest was insulated from the worst of it. Um but also I think he just has some kind of temperament that makes him very very strong very tough and I think that protected him Hmm.
0: because he must have been scared too oh yeah it wasn't like he avoided that element no does he have fear of wingtip shoes as well I don't know does he have memories similar to yours
1: yeah some yeah he does he does
0: did your mom treat him differently
1: um I couldn't say i don't know I don't think so um, you just think
0: it's temperament
1: i i i I think that's at least a piece of it i don't actually know why he's uh,
0: and i I'm. did he deal with it differently when he was three or four? Did he skip out and yeah. hang out with friends more?
1: He might have done that um I remember. <laughs> When my mother would be angry with him, he'd get a little smirk on his face and it would make her laugh. And she would say things to him through her laughter, I'm still pissed off at you or I'm still mad at you. And uh, But it had a softening effect. I don't know if he learned a kind of um, resilience from that sort of thing. I remember them being upset with me would scare the hell out of me and fill me with shame. Uh, I don't recall having any kind of inner... Facility for making any kind of light of it. Mm. But I think that's one of his strengths is to him, uh, many things in life are a game.
0: Yeah, so I'm going to... Temperament is also a thing that schema therapy recognizes, which I think is smart. And I guess, and it's hard to measure, of course, and there's lots of different domains, but it's possible that Uh, your brother had for whatever you know you and I have talked about how different matches between kids and parents Parents, yeah and for you you were more sensitive which would have worked well in a different situation there's pros and cons to being sensitive Mm -hmm. there's pros and cons to being to internalization of there's something wrong with me Uh, there's pros and cons to that kind of thinking and that your brother was born with a different temperament that just allowed him to be more resilient in that state, whereas him being born in a different family might not have been as helpful. Yeah. Interesting.
1: Yeah, that's probably always true, right? Right. Goodness of fit. So
0: seven, we -hmm. have realistic limits and self-control. So this is like the need for parents to give us uh, an idea of where limits are, where the fence is and opportunities to learn self-control. You know, some kids are raised pretty wild, And the parents are pretty negligent and the kids never really learn uh, the boundaries to behavior. And they, they're never given an opportunity to really think, okay, how do I, how do I can, and, and help with controlling your urges, controlling your uh, emotions and
1: channeling them in more functional ways. Was mm. that need met for you? No. Um, I'd say that we were scared or shamed into behavior. Um, but uh, my folks were not good at um, um, just telling us the consequences of our actions. You know, you scared me. Right. So as
0: outside control. You were very controlled, but you didn't learn self-control,
1: perhaps. Uh well um i i um i learned i learned uh um how do i say it i learned to um ignore myself uh ignore my own wants and needs and be very other focused other focused yeah yeah i learned that okay which is um related to that third or fourth one um, your identity, yeah. So, but the experience of limits—it's—it's it's like, um, hey. Uh, so, like, you hop the fence to go into your neighbor's yard, and they don't like that, and they ask you to leave. Uh, my experience is more like: if you hop the fence, you're going to get shot by the prison guard. Right. <laughs> that's a that's a grisly image. Right. It's not
0: like uh, there's because there's logic to it. It's like if I hop the fence. And I'm in someone's yard, they're going to, it's going to kind of bother them and they're going to kind of be upset with me. Yeah. And so, uh, whereas if I burn their house down, they'll be really upset with me. Right. As opposed to if I do anything that in one weird way or another annoys my dad, then I'm going to get the full brunt of his punishment. There's like no, there's no differentiation. Yeah. And the last core emotional need here is for guidance and mentoring. Did you have that growing up?
1: Yeah, to some degree. Um, You know, like I said before, uh, they uh, valued academic achievement. And I was always a pretty good student. Uh, So there was guidance that way. Um, And there were moments of uh, tenderness with my parents. Um, uh, Mentoring, mentoring. I'd say there were some moments of that, but mostly I was afraid. So, mm, and I also, I, yeah. Um, It was important to me not to be seen. So, I don't think I would have um, presented much of an opportunity for any kind of mentoring. I know as an adult, I fucking hate it. I feel with shame if I need coaching. Uh, It's humiliating to me,
0: Um, which... If you need coaching on something that you feel that you're good at already?
1: Um, or of I, any sort? Yeah, I don't have to be good at it. I can be bad at it. And and uh, coaching is humiliating to me. Like your like, wife looking over your shoulder
0: as you're making an Ikea uh, shelf uh-huh. and thinking you're doing it wrong?
1: Yeah, yeah. The other day in the car, she's like, put on your blinker. <laughs> I'm so fucking annoyed. <laughs> but inside, it's like, oh, I'm ashamed. You know, I really am and uh it's really fast um i i in in terms of my work life i put up with a, a lot um because i you know i feel an ethical responsibility to become competent so um coaching and mentoring uh i've had very good supervisors uh two in particular that come to mind um who very patient very kind with me but excruciating for me uh um uh, humiliating to have need and so one of my vulnerabilities is I try to present well and I don't I don't like showing my um weakness. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. But um I I've done that a lot um because it, um it was important to get competent.
0: And I'm guessing it's healing to have a trustworthy human who doesn't bring the full brunt of punishment down on your head if you do anything. <laughs> a little askance
1: healing. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't seem to have impacted my shame. That's, that's robust, really sh- robust. <laughs> <laughs> uh,
0: okay. So let's go into schemas. Now young puts forth 18. So let's, let's run through these and I've renamed them and reworded them since the deep dive. So, uh, but they're, they correlate with the same. So number one here are, so these are, developed personality perspectives yeah they're not just... they're deeper than core beliefs yeah and the first one here I've named people are undependable yes, and these are so you're saying yes you oh, do fuck have yeah. that yeah. okay people so, are unfucking dependable so these are um Uh, the statements that you can agree or disagree with and just let me know if you agree or disagree
1: are we doing likert scale
0: uh you can i mean it's it's, strongly agree yeah (laughs) i i worry that people i feel close to will leave me or abandon me or even potentially die soon uh not death as much the other two for sure yes okay maybe i should break that one out it's a little weird it feels a little weird to have it included
1: well you know it's interesting because um, if you think of it from a, from a trauma point of view um, a foreshortened sense of the future is one of the you know one of the uh, symptoms of that of PTSD so it might be important to leave it in and see who responds to that right it'd be, in fact it'd be interesting to find out if there are folks who have a schema about their people uh, dying dying yeah. yeah
0: I feel like it's a little different though it is um I feel lonely. Yes. I feel myself clinging to people I'm close to because I'm afraid they're going to leave me. Yes. I feel that I lack stable emotional support from other people. Mm. Yeah. I expect close relationships to end.
1: Mm, no, no. i work pretty hard to keep them.
0: I sometimes feel like I'm addicted to people who get close to me. No. I sometimes drive people away with my clinginess.
1: Oh, no, no. I mean,
0: I'm afraid I would, but no. When a loved one leaves me alone, I feel desperate sometimes. Yes. Sometimes I avoid close relationships to avoid the fear of disappointment.
1: Um, their, theirs or mine. Uh, you. My fear, disappointment. Fear I avoid close relationship to avoid disappointment. Being disappointed. Um... I don't know
0: close relationships are unpredictable in that they will suddenly switch from being interested in me to not being there for me
1: um uh, my response to that is not yes or no. uh what I wanna say is I work really hard <laughs> to keep it so that shit like that don't happen
0: okay if i If I express my true feelings, people will leave me, yes. Uh, that's interesting. I, didn't, I see some of these. I didn't know that about you. Mm. So they call this the abandonment instability uh, schema, but I'm calling it the the people are independable uh, schema. Mm-hmm. So for each of this schema, so it seems pretty clear you have this schema that people are independable mm-hmm. based, again, on your core emotional needs not being met in a particular way growing mm-hmm. up because people weren't dependable. Your parents weren't dependable to Uh, Be there for you, emotionally supportive for you, non rejecting of you. And so, as children and as adults, we have ways of coping with the schema because the schema is always there. It's a personality trait. We interface with other people and we're like, well, you know, that person's undependable, that person's undependable, everyone's undependable. And so, we have to have a coping style. And so, what schema therapy, Jeffrey Young puts forth, which I think is pretty interesting, is he has the fight-flighter-freeze response. And the freeze response is the surrender response, Is that that's what they call it. The uh, flight is the avoidance response, and the fight response is the overcompensation response. So common examples that they put forth mm-hmm. are the surrender response is selecting people who don't want to make a commitment to you. So that's you know, surrendering to this notion of, well, people are independable, so I'm just gonna I'm just gonna surrender and be attracted to people who are underdependable. Mm. Uh, the avoidance response is just to avoid relationships altogether. Mm-hmm. The overcompensation, the fight response is to cling and attack. When people, when you feel rejected by other people, so which of these three do, or event, or others
1: do you, do you do? I'd say fight. Um, are we distinguishing between um, attachment relationships and other kinds of relationships?
0: I mean, of course, a, attachment relationships would be more relevant, but I guess it could be anybody really.
1: Fight for sure. Okay. Yeah, fighting though um, it's an interesting way to think about it because fighting doesn't nest, the way it's described here doesn't imply aggression
0: no it's just uh overcompensation it's yeah. like i'm i'm leaning in i'm gonna i'm mm-hmm. gonna actively try to uh, uh beat this one back i'm yes. gonna you know people are dependable. well i'm just gonna make them dependable <laughs> <laughs> or i'm gonna make sure that other people know my needs so that they can you know, notice that the my needs so that they can become dependable i'm mm-hmm. not i'm not just gonna be blase about this. Yeah, no, no. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to avoid relationships. Yeah. I'm not going to give up and just say, well, I guess everyone's undependable. I'm going to fight for my need in this way.
1: Yeah. I'd say the way, the main way I fight though is to make sure I don't tax anybody. You don't tax anybody. Yeah. Interesting. That want is taxing. I wonder which one, if we were to look at,
0: so surrender, avoidance or overcompensation, I'm not going to tax other people. I think that's kind of a surrendering on a, on a certain level. It's like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to bother them too much with my needs. Right. So because I know they're undependable, and if I overtax them, they will. But it's kind of a fight too, because it's also leaning in a little bit. Um, on my way
1: here today, I was running late. Uh, I just hit every red light, <laughs> and you know I know you well, and you're not exactly a clock watcher, so. My lateness, by I think I was three minutes late, is I know not something that you, uh, at least outwardly, get bent out of shape about. And I found myself at the same time um, feeling the rush, you know, the urge to rush. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, you know, Kirk doesn't care. It's, it's, we're talking three minutes here; like it's fine. Yeah. Um. Uh. And so I, I didn't rush, but um, th- uh, being late is like, oh, okay, I'm taxing you. I'm, I'm taxing. I'm making a, a withdrawal from your goodwill account towards me.
0: Which could result in me being undependable or rejected. Yeah, yeah. Ultimately, it's not about, it, yeah, it's about um, keeping you liking me. Right. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. Well, yeah. I'm an extremely punctual person, as are you, by the way. I, I know that you are, right? Yeah, generally. I think you're extremely punctual. I think all therapists tend to be pretty punctual. Uh-huh because we have so many
1: appointments you you sort of have to yeah it's
0: sort of like i used to be one of the people who had really dirty bathrooms until i had a home office oh yeah and then i became an extremely fastidious bathroom person you know me you've known me long enough to know my bathrooms when i was in my 20s sure and just how i wouldn't wash it ever it was just like you know well what are you gonna do yeah bathroom it works but as soon as i started seeing clients in my house it was like wait i'm gonna wash not only am i washing my bathroom you know cleaning it uh let you know more often than once a year but i'm doing it every week (laughs) right (laughs) (laughs) and and to this day like even if i don't think people are coming over to the house seeing any kind of thing in my bathroom that is bothersome i immediately try to clean it up you clean it yeah okay so the second schema here is people are harmful so statements that you can agree or disagree with Mm -hmm. i often feel that i have to protect myself from others because they are likely to hurt me
1: ah i don't know i get scared of getting hurt but the hurt i get scared of is usually rejection not that someone's gonna whack me
0: no it's 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 harmful emotionally and physically. So should I say that? Sure. People are harmful uh, emotionally or physically. Yeah. Um, it's only a matter of time before someone betrays me.
1: No, I wouldn't say that. Most
0: people are selfish or fake. And you have
1: to exist to be betrayed. Oh,
0: interesting. Yeah.
1: Go ahead. If you did exist, would you worry about being betrayed? If I did? Yeah. 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 Yeah.
0: So do you, I mean, sometimes you know you exist, so do you sometimes uh, have that theme? No. Okay. Um, Most people are selfish or fake and only think about themselves.
1: Oh, no, that's, that's too much. No, I don't think that's true.
0: It's hard for me to trust others. Yes. I sometimes will hurt others before they hurt me.
1: Oh... No, no, I don't think that's true. I don't, I don't, no, no preempt, I don't preemptively hurt people.
0: I need solid proof before I can trust someone.
1: Hmm, that one's tricky. Yeah. It implies that you have this sort of gonna trust. I don't, I don't have that. Yeah. So I don't even look
0: for proof. Okay. So I'm uh, not going to trust them at, at all. No. <laughs> I sometimes test others to make sure they can be trusted
1: yeah I think I do that. Uh, I hate that I do that, but I think I do that I can
0: tell you a number of stories of people who have mistreated me yes okay so this so this is like not as strong uh, in terms of the alignment with your schemas right. as the people are dependable, but you know people are harmful. It sounds like some yeah, so the coping again surrender is to select abusive or Mist, you know, partners, people who be maybe I should say uh, attracted to people who mistreat me, you know.
1: You know the idea of. I mean, I I I hope that um, we'll expand on this idea of attraction. Because, you know, you ever heard people say, well, you know, like, I must pick people that are going to, you know, blah, 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 blah. I've always had a problem with that because I don't think, I don't understand that and I don't think, I don't get it. I don't really get that. I'm not not sure I believe that that that's true. Maybe it is, though, but I don't really know.
0: Well, I mean, it's bigger than that, obviously, that people will talk about how they were abused, say, a woman sexually by her father mm-hmm. and she has three major boyfriends when she's an adult and all of them were sexually uh, abusive to her or her children and she's like how is this happening mm-hmm. it's not obviously I'm not looking for these yeah. kinds of people I know yeah. how harmful they can be I right. grew up with one right why in the world uh-huh. Would I and and people tell me that these kinds of people are rare, so how in the world am I picking that one person right. out of the group right um, so that's what we mean by attracted to it's 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 an attraction between the people by the way it's not just from the victim it's one, one in, way yeah. yeah it's 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 a chemistry ish thing that happens between these people that is related to both of their schemas we could say. Um, okay. So that's what we mean by attracted to. I don't know. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, it makes sense. And um, it seems like it's behind the scenes. Totally. Yeah. Right. It's not a
0: maybe, so would it, maybe don't let me put words in your mouth, but mm-hmm. would it help to say subconsciously attracted?
1: I, You know, it, it rubs me wrong for some reason. I don't know that it's inaccurate, but um, there's something about it that. Like that, victim blaming or something? Yeah. Yeah.
0: Right, so there's a line there, obviously, right. you know, we don't want to say to people that it's their fault that they're attracted to people who are who are mistreating of them, right like, well, look at you, you know you it's it, it, you wouldn't be here if it wasn't for your attraction to these mm-hmm. kinds of people, so it, it's definitely something that's out of their control, mm-hmm. but we see these patterns yeah. of people who were mistreated as children. <clears throat> and then are involved in a series of relationships with people who are more mistreating than than, yeah. than average. Right. I don't think you're actually one of those people though. I the relationships you've been in, you know, in your adult life since I've known you don't really have that kind of pattern. You know, you, you don't really the people that I I mean the little I know about the partners you've had they seem like Generally nice people, mm-hmm. so uh so I don't think it necessarily applies to you. But mm-hmm. there could be other kinds of things that you're subconsciously attracted to.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe it's sort of like there's some force within us that chooses the devil. We know if that's a it's not a great way to put it, but the, but that
0: that's that's the way they put it. Essentially, is mm-hmm. that it's comfort, but it's also you know according to object relations and Freud to some extent and schema therapy to some extent is we're trying to correct the past. And the w- one of the ways that we subconsciously try to do that is to try to recreate it. Recreate it. it. And if, it's, if the pendulum has swung too far in one direction, we recreate it too much. So it actually just re-traumatizes us. Anyway. Interesting. So are you subconsciously attracted to people who mistreat you?
1: I don't know. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Uh, Avoid. Do you avoid being vulnerable and our relationships? Yes. You avoid being vulnerable or you avoid relationships? I avoid being vulnerable. Uh, And then overcompensation is to mistreat other people.
1: Mm -hmm. I do that sometimes.
0: (laughs) It's it's sort of like this, well, you know, if I'm going to be mistreated, then I'm going to mistreat other people. You know, it's sort of like tit for tat kind of a thing. You know, I'm going to fight this by, you know, uh, settling the score, balancing the ledger, that kind, yeah. kind of a thing. That's a subconscious way right. of thinking about it. Right. It's like, well, I'm being mistreated, so fuck it. I'm going to mistreat other people.
1: I'd say that only happens in my marriage. Okay. Uh, maybe I should... Uh, a that's not, that's not 100% true. Um, but that's mostly true.
0: I'm being mistreated, so F it. I'll mistreat them back. Um, next, uh, schema here, people are uncaring. So the statements here are, I've never had a consistent, so a lot of the early schema you're probably going to agree with (laughs) the the later, the latter ones you're going to go, I don't know. Uh The early ones have to do with uh, being emotionally deprived Mm -hmm. and, and abused. And so you're probably going to agree with all that. Um, I've never had a consistent person to depend on for advice or emotional support. Yes. No one has ever been there to meet my emotional needs. Mm. It's very black and white, Uh, but if I have to answer, then yeah. Um, Maybe I should soften that one. uh, Generally speaking, would that make it better? Read it again. Generally speaking, no one has ever really been there to meet my emotional needs.
1: Yeah, now listen, you talk to Colleen, and she'll feel irritated by my response to that, rightfully so, because... She would say, look, I'm here. You do not lean on me ever. Right. And I,
0: you know, and she'll undoubtedly listen to this. She's a patron, right? Uh, So uh, she, I'm guessing based on the context, she'll understand that you um, aren't saying that this is an indictment on her neglect of you.
1: This is a schema. This is not a statement about Colleen. It's a statement about my point of view, as you said.
0: Right. Yeah, got it. Your personality that developed yeah. this schema really. Right. I haven't gotten enough love and nurturance from others. Yes. For most of my life, I've never been someone's main relationship. Yes.
1: That's interesting. Well, I've been single most of my life till I got married.
0: Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Cuz I, I find that item to be interesting because it's like this notion of like Feeling like well there 's been times when i 've been the number one priority in like this person 's life for this amount of time mm-hmm. or uh or even multiple people that i 'm at least top three I, I get that vibe, but for you you 're just like no i 've never really been someone 's top priority mm-hmm. and you know that's that because th- when i because i, I don 't identify with that one, and so mm-hmm. that that one's just like do people walk around feeling that way? Cause especially people who are social like you. Like, mm-hmm. I get it if you're alone and you're avoiding relationships and yeah. you don't leave the house and you just have a bunch of acquaintances. But you've had, like, very close relation. You, you're a very close relationship guy. Yeah. Close friends, close, you know, romantic yeah. partners. Mm-hmm. You're close to your siblings close to your workmates and for you to believe that you're not you, you know, you just have this general sense that you're not really like those people's priority is I know false, one but given the schema that's, that's where it comes from.
1: It's kind of funny how we are. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, for most of my life I have not had someone who really cares to listen or understand me. Yes. For most of my life I've never had someone who was really there to guide me Yes, That's an interesting one. I think I should get rid of that one because that one's... But I'll leave it at... Okay. So the coping. Surrender is you select emotionally depriving people and you don't really ask them to meet your needs. Yes. Oh, interesting. Interesting.
1: Uh, I don't know that, that I select people that are like that, but I don't expect...
0: Well, maybe like and know. or you don't ask other people to meet your needs. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, because, avoid, you know, like you and me, we're friends and you give a shit about me. You're not exactly read it again you select emotionally depriving people no that's not you that's not Colleen that's not my the people in my world but you don't ask them I do not yeah you don't ask people to yeah. meet
0: avoidance would be avoiding relationships altogether
1: no I don't think I really do that
0: yeah. yeah and overcompensation is to be emotionally demanding
1: of others well you tell me but I don't think so no yeah yeah, I think
0: you're mainly the the surrender the part surrender now. kind. Yeah. Uh, okay, number four. I am defective. No one could love me once they saw the real me.
1: Oh hell yeah! Really?
0: Jeez. Yeah. I am inherently defective.
1: Uh, but that's a that's a weird word. Okay, but yeah.
0: What would be a better word? Um. Broken. <laughs> There's something wrong with me. There's something wrong with me.
1: Yeah. Okay.
0: There's something wrong with me. What's that one like? What's 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 that schema feel like?
1: That feels hopeless. It just feels utterly fucking hopeless.
0: Like, what would be wrong with you though? Like, does does a thing come to mind or oh, is yeah, it, yeah yeah? But, but it's what?
1: not something I could ac- believe it or not. It's actually something I can't talk about here.
0: Really? Yeah. Um. Like. Uh, th- th- but it's there it's like this oh yeah as soon presence. as you read the question it's like yup <laughs> there's something wrong with me yeah Yeah. and if people really saw that mm. they wouldn't love me mm-hmm. they wouldn't like me mm-hmm. they reject me yeah that's interesting and you walk around with that frequently oh yeah every day wow like you're trying to hide it oh I'm very
1: good at hiding it
0: wow yeah wow I mean I feel like I could take a guess I won't cuz I don't want to put you on the spot but I feel like you've ex- you've you've revealed a little bit of this feeling to me in the past. Maybe not, maybe not. <laughs> I think
1: it'd be fun. Why don't you take a guess?
0: Well, you have a inner aggression towards other people uh and disdain or anger or something.
1: Oh, I get that way. That's true.
0: That that you don't get outwardly but you'll tell me sometimes that you'll you know you have this urge to like smash people in the face or or <laughs> uh, or, uh, or just i don't know completely just tell people off in this mm-hmm. very um, biting way i do have that urge sometimes that, that wasn't r- the thing that that's I was not related was, no wow yeah Uh, No matter how hard I try, no one will ever love me for who I really am. Yeah, I'm not really lovable. No, I hide my true self from others for fear that of seeing my flaws. Yes. Wow. Some because you seem like such an open guy, so you must. It's like you have this dichotomy of like open guy and like something that you hide from everyone. You know, it is
1: weird. Yeah. It's really weird. I mean, yeah. like, the fact that you and me are having this conversation that's for publishing <laughs> is really weird. <laughs> I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I noticed that I want to do it. Uh, yeah, well. So that's, you know, it's a weird contradiction. Yeah. Yeah. Do you talk about it very much? Talk about what? This. What's the this? The, the podcast? Fact that
0: you hide something? No. With your therapist?
1: Uh, not much, but he knows that I hide. I've told him very explicitly, I'm hiding this and not talking about this with you. And if I do talk about it with you, I better have a really clear reason for it because I am not going to sit here and confess.
0: Oh. I could take a guess at it, but again, I won't put you on it. Do you want me to take a guess at it? No, no, no. Okay. I I think I might know. Yeah, you probably do. The area. Yeah. But it's, from my understanding, and I don't know, we could both say that- it's probably over ninety nine percent of that shame is overblown,
1: oh yeah, no, I'd say just about a hundred percent of it is oh, okay. overblown, okay, I know that in my you know boy if rational mind would do it, right, then yeah. nobody would need people like you and me, right we would not need a job, uh, but this plagues
0: one. you this this oh, shame yeah. plagues oh, you,
1: it's terrible. were you shamed for this when you were a kid? That's a great question, yes and no, um you know how like um if you don't get mirrored, you don't feel like you're okay. Yeah. That. Yeah. There's a part of life that my folks just ain't gonna touch. Well and society. Yeah, yeah. And Catholicism. True. Yeah, yeah. Right. And the era. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um I hide my no no. Some people some people like me, but that's only because they don't really know the real me.
1: Yeah, I have that fear.
0: People close to me often harshly criticize me. No. That doesn't doesn't seem to fit. Um, Sometimes I'm drawn to people who are critical.
1: No, I don't think so.
0: I have more secrets than other people do.
1: Yeah, I think that's true.
0: I'm terrified that my defects will be exposed. Yes. Okay, so coping, surrender, is to put self down, beat self up, and select critical people. Mm -hmm. I
1: I don't select critical people, but I do the first two.
0: Put yourself down and beat yourself up. Yeah, it seems like it was interesting because it didn't really fit with you. Maybe I should break those two out. Um, Mm -hmm. Avoidance would be avoiding relationships and or exposing true thoughts and feelings.
1: The second one for sure. Okay. Yeah.
0: Overcompensation would be to criticize others, seem perfect while secretly beating self
1: up. Uh, yes, on the second part. I, I do not criticize other people. But you try to seem perfect. I do try to seem perfect. And what was the... F- uh, and um, sec- beat self up, secretly beat yes. self up.
0: Yes, Uh, So how are you doing so far on this journey?
1: It's provocative. I'm okay.
0: Yeah, okay. I,
1: I, I like it. You know, like I just feel like this is like useful. Yeah. So I'm cool with it, but it's also painful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I, that's painful for me.
1: To just be here and do this?
0: Yeah. I mean, really? em- empathy pain, not like like I'm suffering, but I suffer for you. I mean, this is awful. Like, because... Thank you. Y- you know, when I read these things and when I think about clients and people who have this, I feel for them. And... T- but I haven't had this back and forth with someone, like, yeah. in the in the now. In the now. And to just hear these, like, just you know just unfair statements going on in your head it's just like heartbreaking thanks that a good person like you especially after years of therapy and redirection and checking of schema that you still walk around with this internalized shame and Terror and you know. I mean, of course, I know that's how things go, but yeah. it's, it's just utterly unfair that because you're a good person, and uh not that a, if someone wasn't as good as you, they they would deserve this on some <laughs> level, but sure. particularly you. I mean, you you know, I I know you, and I, I in your life prior to me knowing you, I'm pretty confident in this as well that you're a good person you care you don't um create chaos you don't harm other people you don't it's just all this internal like voices of horribleness and it's so so horrible it's that's like you're you're telling me like it's not nuanced you know it's <laughs> it's like it's like <laughs> And it's not because, you know, everyone has a feeling of like, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not perfect. And if if I was really exposing myself, yeah, I mean, uh, some people might not like that. But you're just like, yep, nope, yeah. If someone saw me, nope, they wouldn't like me. Yeah. You know, it's just like this real
1: strong feeling that you have. I think I get scared that if I ain't buttoned up tight enough, I ain't going to be a good guy. I don't, you know, in my head, I don't think it's really true. Like, but I don't, I don't feel confident in that. I just, um, uh, you know, what if, what if what you call good about me only comes from. Tricking me. Buttoning up pretty tight. Yeah. Like um, uh, hiding.
0: Yeah. But
1: your head can know
0: that the thing you're hiding, which I think i have an idea of the category is not a reason to have anyone dislike you
1: uh my head can know that um and you know um i don't have confidence in that yeah yeah yeah
0: well yeah i yeah i yeah, i it's 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 painful to to end tragedy really mm. and i know other people feel this too and, you know, it's one thing to um, talk and it's painful as well to talk about like the the pain that people go through and the abuse they go through and the ongoing struggle and the um, the patterns of being triggered and mm-hmm. and being triggered to anger and distrust and boundaries and, you know, this kind of thing. And and that's painful to hear about, but it's another thing to hear about the voices that are in your head about yourself, you know, like, um, you know, people are going to leave me and I expect relationships to end and I can't really trust other people. And, um, I've, I've never, generally speaking, no one has ever really been there to meet my emotional needs. I mean, (laughs) uh, I'm not lovable. I mean, this is, it's heartbreaking, Bob. It's just, mm. it's, uh, golly, you know, it's like, um, it's just so unfair. Mm. Do you not feel that
1: way about yourself?
0: I have elements for sure. Sure. But n- I do think I'm lovable. Not that I think I'm any more lovable than you are, but I think I'm, I, I think I'm an okay person. Yeah. <laughs> You know uh and i do feel like generally speaking people have been there to meet my needs whether yeah. i i capitalized on that opportunity is another question okay but i feel like people but at the same time i think i have the general existential uh sadness of never really being able to enmesh truly with other people mm-hmm. and have and to really have people understand me that that's just never possible and it's, one of the things you just have to struggle with as a human being and no one will really know mm-hmm. what I'm going through. And that's sad to me on a certain level, but, yeah. it, but it doesn't get to me. And, you know, to, you know, for most of my life, I've never been someone's main relationship. I have been in the same way that they were my main relationship. You know, mm-hmm. um, you've been that person at times. Mm. Um, uh, uh, I feel lonely. Um, not usually, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like people are. I feel like people are dependable. I feel like people are. Certain people are extremely dependable. Um, and so, yeah. Hmm. I, I a little bit of it, of course, sure, but not like as definitive as as you are putting forth. Mm-hmm. So, number five. Okay, I don't fit in. Mm. So we're kind of going in a different category here. Okay, I don't belong.
1: Um. Sometimes,
0: I'm fundamentally different than others.
1: Ah, that's interesting. Mm, at first, I wanted to say yes, and then I just sort of sit with it, and I want to say no. I don't fundamentally different. No, I'm a loner. No,
0: I feel alienated from others.
1: Sometimes,
0: but that's usually when I'm depressed. Um, I often feel like I'm on the outside of groups often feel no 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 one really gets me well it's not really the same I'm gonna get rid of that one um, if I'm if I disappear tomorrow no one re- would really notice
1: you know sometimes I wonder like it's a wonderful life what would happen if I disappeared yeah um, um, I think I'd be noticed yeah my absence would be noticed okay but uh, if you're asking about my impact I don't know Yeah. Yeah, I think this one is
0: particular to people, and they will tend to agree with a lot of these. You They'll just be like, yeah, I've always felt like I never was a part of a group. I would watch groups happen, and I never felt like I was a part. I was always an outsider. Mm -hmm. I was never really accepted into that group. Mm -hmm. And if I was in the group, I always felt like, man— uh, this is weird mm-hmm. and surely everyone notices how much of a s- sore thumb that i stick out of this group like i i'm not a part of this group mm-hmm. like you don't really feel that no way. no i don't feel those ways right because you're part of a, a number of groups yeah. um some long-standing groups yeah and feel and you're like the linchpin to these groups <laughs> sometimes <laughs> yeah um okay so there's different coping with that but we won't go into that Number six, I am incompetent, so I do not feel capable. No. I often need other people to help me. No. I don't cope well by myself. No. I'm better off when others are taking care of me. No. I have trouble doing things unless someone guides me. No. I often screw things up. Yeah. Well, you know, learning curve. I sometimes feel like a child in an adult's world. No, Adult responsibilities often overwhelm me.
1: No, no, no.
0: Yeah. Okay. So you don't have that. No, I sure don't. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Um, And some people do. Yeah. Seven. The world is dangerous. I often have the feeling that something bad is about to happen. No. I often feel like a disaster, natural, criminal, financial, or medical, could strike at any moment.
1: Hmm. Yes, but I don't live in fear of that.
0: Okay. I sometimes worry about becoming a street person. No. I often worry about being attacked. No. I put a lot of effort into avoiding getting sick or hurt. No. I often worry that I'm going to get a serious illness. No. I'm a fearful person.
1: Yeah, but not like this is describing. This way. Yeah.
0: I often worry about the bad things happening in the world like crime, climate change, politics, the financial market.
1: I do worry about that stuff.
0: I sometimes feel like I'm going to have an anxiety attack or go crazy or have a heart attack. No. Um I feel like the world is a dangerous place. No. Okay,
1: so you don't have that one. You know, that strikes of GAD. Yeah, but and also, also trauma.
0: Right. So yeah. it's if people have anxiety, yeah. then they're going to agree with this one. And it differentiates between anxiety as something that is ego dystonic something that we look at and say okay like for me my anxiety is ego dystonic yeah. in that i will have an anxiety th- obsession of some kind or a panic attack and i know my body is freaking out and it's it's not real right, right. it's irrational it's not there's i i will go to the statistics i will wrestle with the notion like well i'm gonna die like everyone else there's no sense in in worrying about what will take me it's yeah. just like eventually i'm going to get taken whereas other people will have personality traits of anxiety tonic right yeah in that they're like well the world is a dangerous place right so i should be obsessively mm-hmm. looking at the Websites that tell me about crime in my neighborhood. Oh my! I I should be looking at the news about Trump and what he's doing with China and about Greenland. You know i I need to be I need to be vigilant because uh, it's just the way that it is. You know. And yes, I'm losing sleep because the world is a dangerous. Who wouldn't be losing sleep? Crazy not to. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. earthquake is going to hit Seattle. Why wouldn't I think about that every day? It is going to hit. Yeah. So like yeah. Right. But so. I think the schema is getting more at the personality trait. Yeah. Based on one's core emotional needs not being met. Uh, That's cool. Eight, yeah, I think that's the kind of nice thing about the model, right? Mm -hmm. It's like it starts with temperament and emotional needs, and then it goes to schemas. Yeah. Um, Eight, I must stay close to my family. Um, I must stay close to my family. I'm still connected to my parents, even though most people in my age are not.
1: No, I think most people are more connected to their parents than I am.
0: Some people think I'm over-involved with at least one of my parents. No. Okay, so we can (laughs) skip those. There's a bunch of uh, elements in there. So you don't have that one. No. Um, I am a failure, number nine. Hmm. Almost nothing I do is as good as what other people can do. No. I often feel incompetent. No. Other people are generally more capable than I am.
1: Well, yeah, but, you know, like, Stephen King's a great novelist. Maybe he is more capable than (laughs) me. Maybe maybe. I should say, uh, generally more capable than I am um, at
0: the things I'm good at, maybe.
1: I think there are people that are better therapists than me. And that's fine. I mean, how do you rate such a thing anyways? But
0: other people are, most people are more capable. Maybe I should say that. Most people Uh, are more capable. Yeah, that gets at it. No, I don't believe that's true and the things I'm... Okay, so we'll skip that one. So you don't really... You don't have the failure schema. Number 10. I get what I want. I have a lot of trouble accepting no for an answer.
1: No, I'm good at that.
0: I sometimes get irritable if I don't get what I want. Yeah. Maybe I should say usually get irritable. Do you usually get irritable?
1: Mm -hmm. And these are little
0: things like... Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. Like a pay raise, or I don't know, just it could be anything.
1: Yeah, I'm thinking. I don't think I usually get irritable when I don't get what I want. Okay, not usually. No,
0: I feel like I shouldn't have to accept many of the social restrictions that people adhere to.
1: I'm not even sure I understand that.
0: Yeah, I had to reword it. So, you know, I feel like I shouldn't have to. Ex- shouldn't have to follow. I, sh- I feel like I shouldn't have to follow the. Uh, many of this of the social rules that other people follow.
1: No, no, I think I should follow those. Okay,
0: um, I'm kind of like this actually. <laughs> it's a it's a narcissistic trait. Um, <laughs> I hate it when people prevent me from doing what I want to do.
1: Well, yeah, but I think most people, you know, to some degree or other, hate that. I, I don't say I, I excessively hate it. No, I don't think so. Um I
0: often break silly rules that other people adhere to. No. That's me. I'm I'm it's just I'm Did you know that about me? Well I know you think it about you. Uh, but I do like um, rules like if I come to a stoplight or a stop sign in the middle of nowhere, I just blaze through it. Uh-huh. Because I'm like, this is dumb. Whereas other people uh-huh. are like, but it's a stoplight. Yeah. But I'm like no, you don't get it. Like yeah. it's for, you know I have this I have this point of view of like the rules aren't there yeah. to follow the rules like and because I just hate having yeah. or um, my university recently had a some kind of like mandatory I think it was sexual harassment it was some kind of uh-huh. training that you, everyone had to go through mm-hmm. and I resisted and resisted this thing I was like I'm not going to do that yeah. like I, one. I I know the principles. I teach the principles. Yeah. Two, this training it, it can't possibly teach me anything. No. I've got better things to do with my life than cross somebody else's tea. Exactly, yeah. some lawyer's yeah. tea. And uh, whereas other people, they're just like, oh yeah, I did it. No big deal. Like people just accept that yeah. kind of thing. But for me, because of this entitlement grandiosity. Schema, it's just like I'm better than that. I don't want to do yeah. it, you know. I feel that way about some of that stuff, but you do it. Probably, yeah, I do. i be like a normal go. person.
1: And um, my guess is at some point you will indeed do the sexual harassment. And training. I did, but I didn't like it. No, of course not. I feel that way about, um, the ethics and the suicide requirement for yeah.
0: licensure okay so i'm totally yeah. on board Didn't now he, after having taken it i actually kind of agree with it uh-huh. um and doing a deep dive on suicide i just wish that the trainings were better mm-hmm. overall mm-hmm. and more i don't know inspirational on mm-hmm. some level mm-hmm. maybe more maybe not six hours maybe three hours like it doesn't need to be six hours yeah what's that like the like the one i went to, so if people don't know in Washington state anyway, Mm. maybe other people, other Mm. states, for us to retain our licensure every five years, we need to get six hours of suicide prevention training.
1: I thought it was six years.
0: Might be six. Oh, okay. You might might be right. Okay. Um, And we that was passed because of this woman's husband killed himself, And she was a public health professor, I think, at University of Washington. Mm-hmm. And he was, I think, even a, like a like a therapist of some kind. I'm not mm-hmm. sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so um, which so anyway, uh, we're required to get uh, continuing ed, but not but we're free to choose what we want. I mm-hmm. think occasionally we have to get ethics training ethics
1: every two years. Uh,
0: but the rest of the training hours are whatever we want. Yeah. And they mandated this this suicide prevention the first time i heard about it i was like really like this is psych 101 shit Mm -hmm. i don't i've i've been through trainings like that i don't need work with folks and and then i thought six hours uh what could you possibly teach me for six hours Mm -hmm. uh again after doing the suicide deep dive i think there is a lot that can be said Mm -hmm. probably not six hours but but anyway the one i went to. Was the first three hours was suicide prevention, which was okay. Mm-hmm. It's pretty light, actually. It's pretty general. It was mm-hmm. it was kind of treating us like none of us
1: had known anything about it. Sure, let's be clear that the folks who are required to do this are not just mental health people, but people that work in doctors' offices and uh, regular old medical folk. Oh, really? Have these requirements as well? It's the same requirement. Yeah. Oh, interesting. So they're, they might. So
0: <laughs> us therapists are taking the same training. Interesting. But then the last three hours, the woman did a whole thing on dissociative identity disorder because yeah. it's related to
1: suicide, suicide, which I thought was pretty That's interesting. Probably interesting, yeah. All right, 11. Oh, I, wait, wait, wait. Before what? we go on. Yeah, yeah. I've been wondering about this for years. Back when you lived in the apartment there on Meridian, mm-hmm. you, we had this conversation about recycling. And you're like, no, recycling's stupid. Here's why. And you said something about it. And it's like, I see the logic in that. But it went completely against, you know, I, I, I believe in recycling. I think it's in general. But you had a reason. You had this whole thing about why recycling was short-sighted and dumb. Can you remember it? Well, I don't know what I
0: thought back then. And, you know, my 26-year-old self was <laughs> not as um, sophisticated, I would hope, as I am now. And there wasn't the Internet. Sure. Uh, but it 's so funny because i wouldn 't have thought I had that back then because where did i where did I learn that i don 't know but i 've since learned a lot more details about recycling and learned a more nuanced position around it um, uh, and i 'm guessing i had a i had a, a sort of a one so that 's another element of my entitlement yeah uh, narcissistic personality trait, which is that things that are um, uh, rules that are imposed on me, I don't like to do. I yeah. will gravitate towards explanations that support that. I, I, also, right. I also gravitate towards explanations that say that that dictates or that demonstrates that everyone is stupid. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and, and this is one of them, actually. So um, when it comes to recycling, and I've looked into it more uh, recently over the last ten years, uh-huh. it, it's very complicated industry. Mm-hmm. And in some instances when they – and it's hard to analyze because you have to think about all these different things. Because so what we're looking at is like we're looking at different materials, right? We're looking at glass, mm-hmm. different types of plastic, mm-hmm. um, aluminum, yeah, yeah uh, other kinds of metal. Mm-hmm. So we have to – and by recycling, we're trying to do better by the earth and mm-hmm. we're trying to be more sustainable, right? Mm-hmm. And so take aluminum cans, for example. We have to uh, dig, you know, tons and tons of earth, Mm -hmm. and that requires us to uh, harm the environment. It requires us to use a bunch of fossil fuels to, uh, you know, fuel these big machines. We have to haul the dirt somewhere. We have to smelt the blah, blah, blah. We got to move it to here. We got to create the aluminum can. Right. And we... uh, in that process, we're not only harming the environment, we're taking away a finite resource, and we're spewing greenhouse gases in, into the atmosphere, we're polluting um, mm-hmm. streams, we're doing all these horrible things. And then we say, well, if we recycle, we, we don't do any of those things, but we do. We have to have uh, – uh, the truck has to come and pick up right. the, the, the aluminum cans. The aluminum cans have to be separated and Uh, because a lot of junk gets placed in there. You have to clean it. It's Mm -hmm. not like people clean their aluminum cans. Mm -hmm. You have to get rid of the dyes. You have to, again, metal it. And and then there's aluminum recycling processing plants that are not necessarily in your city, so it has to be shipped somewhere. Uh, Sometimes we ship it to China, so Mm -hmm. it's like that's not very efficient. Mm -hmm. And we have to look at, okay, what's the cost-benefit analysis? And when they look at it from my memory, uh, aluminum is actually beneficial to recycle when you mm. look at the full cycle of of mm. greenhouse gases and all that kind of stuff. But other materials might not be. Like glass, again, I'd have to look it up, but I sure. but I think glass is actually it's hurting us in in some municipalities to actually recycle glass. Now, I'm guessing I'll get a bunch of emails saying that that's wrong, but I remember that there was there were certain materials that are not necessarily good, and even the ones that we do recycle, it's not like a slam dunk that we're doing a wonderful thing for the environment. It feels good, right? Mm-hmm. I'm recycling. It, it's it, I'm saving the earth, mm-hmm. and it's like no, it's just less of a problem. It's still a problem, mm-hmm. you know. What what would benef- What would really be great is if we didn't go through much go through much junk. Yeah, you know, there, we we like I get stuff from Amazon. And it's a box that's in a box. Yeah. In a box. Right. And actually, I just recently got an uh, electronic item for the podcast, and they just slapped the label on the box of the thing, mm-hmm. which I was like, man, how great is that? And so um, I, so there's a lot of different things we could be doing that would be much more beneficial to our carbon footprint, to the environment that we're not doing and yet we just keep recycling and we just feel like yay it's not going in the garbage and therefore I'm saving the planet and I I probably had some dumber version of that when I was 26 okay thanks I've been wondering about it for
1: years I couldn't recreate
0: it in my head (laughs) (laughs) All right, next one I lack willpower Mm -hmm. Um, I have great difficulty getting myself to stop vices like drinking or overeating sometimes I don't have the willpower to do boring things No I sometimes bother others with my impulsive actions No I often give up when things are hard Mm, Sometimes, yeah I have trouble with long-term goals Yes I have trouble controlling my anger Mm, Sometimes I often do things excessively like over-drinking or overspending.
1: Hmm. Boy, I wonder what Colleen would say I don't think so, no
0: I get bored easily No so it sounds like you don't really have this one. No, uh, twelve. I must please others. Mm. I usually let other people have their way because I'm afraid of the consequences. Yes. If I assert what I want, something bad will happen. Yes. In relationships, I let the other person make the decisions. Yes. I don't really make my. De- I don't really make decisions on my own. Mm, that's probably true. I often don't really know what I want. Yes. The major decisions of my life were not really my own. No, they were mine. People consider me a people pleaser. Yes. I resent others for not asking about my feelings. At times. I hate confrontations. Yes. When I'm angry, I usually don't show it directly. Yes. When I'm upset at someone, I sometimes do passive things to get back at them.
1: No, no, no. I don't do that.
0: Okay, so you you got this one. Yeah. So let's go to the coping. So the surrender is to... Please others, but resent it. Uh Uh-huh. Avoidance would be avoid conflict or relationships altogether.
1: No. Well, avoid conflict.
0: Yeah. Okay. Overcompensation, uh, it would be to become oppositional, rebellious, defiant, or stubborn, or passively get back at other people. No. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you got that one. Yeah. Uh, 13. I must give. Hmm. I feel guilty if I don't put others' needs before my own. Yes. I'm really sensitive to disappointing other people. Yes. I give more than I get. Yes. People consider me to be very helpful or attentive, sometimes too much so.
1: Not sure about the too much so, but I think yes on the first part.
0: I usually put up with bad behavior in others. Yes. I often volunteer for extra work. No. I'm often really busy, and yet I still take on more responsibilities. No. I often give the impression that I don't need much. Yes. Yes i'm happiest when others are happy yes i notice other people's needs a lot
1: uh well you know i'm a fucking therapist so uh how about in my private life do i say it again i notice other people's needs a lot i think so but i think that's mostly an outgrowth of um uh adopting an attachment lens on the universe
0: okay I'm affected by other people's discomfort, yes, or I'm overly affected. Maybe I say overly affected by other people's discomfort. is that true?
1: No, I think I'm affected the
0: right amount okay i'm I often have little time for myself, yes, I'm more comfortable giving a present than receiving one.
1: oh, fuck, yeah, really, yeah, yeah, presents are tough to get to, oh yeah, I hate getting them, wow, I like giving them though they're fun, yeah. I have trouble asking for help. Yes. I have
0: trouble purely doing what I want. Yes. Interesting. I didn't know you had this one. I mean, I guess I kind of did, but not really. Hmm. So the coping would be surrender. What
1: kind of friend are
0: you? (laughs) Uh, Gives a lot and asks for nothing. Yeah, I do that. Similar to the concept of... So this is... Anyway. Avoidance would be avoid situations that involve giving or taking.
1: Hmm... Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. How so? Like, I avoid Christmas. That's all about the giving and the taking. I hate that. I just, I it all makes me uncomfortable and so unnecessary, so I do not like participating in Christmas. I I like the Quantranimous party. It's like a white elephant party that we go to. Right. Yeah. This uh, is just silly. It's fun. But
0: in general, no. Yeah. And one could say that being in private practice is kind of an avoidance of it, because when you're in private practice, you don't really have to give and take to to fellow employees. No,
1: you do not. I, very little. I have some office mates, but, uh, you know, solo flyer. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Overcompensation becomes selfish and resents other people's needs.
1: No, I don't think so. Yeah. All surrender. Right. I'm mostly the surrender. Yeah. Yeah.
0: 14. I must fit in. Preoccupied with social status, appearance, money, or success. No. When someone appears to not like me, I become very stressed out about it.
1: Mm. Mm, no.
0: I find myself becoming a chameleon to make other people comfortable.
1: Yes. Oh really? Yeah, that's annoying. When do you do that? All the time. Really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm amazed at what can come out of my mouth. Like for instance, when it comes to movies, right? Yeah. I generally adopt the attitude. Uh, and preference of the person I'm with. So if somebody says such and such was a good movie, you know. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was a good movie. Yeah, and I see a lot of movies, so yeah, yeah, yeah. But when my nephew Travis, who hates everything, when he doesn't like a movie, I swear I become just like him. <laughs> and it doesn't matter. I sometimes I can't even remember. Like I can't have a felt sense of did I, what? What did I like about this movie? Yeah, I become I'm chameleon that way. Interesting. And not just with that sort of thing. I'm chameleon in lots of ways. Hmm. Yeah.
0: I often try hard to fit in. Yes. Often my self-esteem is based on how other people view me. Yes. I sometimes try to achieve things that are impressive so other people will notice. Oh, um,
1: I think... uh, Yes, yeah, yeah, that's true. Hmm. I spend a lot of time... You know, I don't go to my high school reunion for that reason. Really? Yeah, I don't have anything to show. So I say, you know.
0: Yeah, I've... So... I just had my 30th. Oh. Actually, I've planned all of my reunions. Oh, that's right. I knew that. Yeah. Yeah. And I've planned... I've, Bob just dropped his phone. Um, I uh, um, plan. I've, I've, I've usually plan my family reunions, and, and I love my classmates growing up, and I don't really think about the impressiveness of anybody, because... These people I went to preschool with, yeah. and it's like, you know, I don't care who you are. Yeah. You're not going to impress me, because I saw you in diapers. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, so it doesn't really matter. You just kind of get brought back to that level. Uh-huh. And so I love it because of that. I mean, the, these. Yeah, the thing I always say is I spent 13 years of my life with about 25 people and probably 10 ish years with maybe 75 people isqua yeah high school uh so i went so pine lake plateau which is now called sammamish and then to isqua high school but the these people i spent six hours a day monday through friday uh, nine months out of the year right and just took them for granted and some of them i didn't know that well but Mm -hmm. some of them i You know over 13 years we would phase in and out of different you know like i had i have one friend that i went to preschool with that she sat next to me in the fourth grade and my eyes were going bad and i didn't want to wear glasses yet and so i had to ask her to tell me everything that was on the board because we like sitting in the back of the class and so for that entire i mean just think about 180 days yeah Monday through Friday, six hours a day. And I'm like, what does it say on the board? And she's like, explain it to me. And we're like, we're like good friends. yeah. And, and to s- not hang out with them the way you would with your siblings yeah. or other kinds of friends and to see them occasionally, is just really great for me. Sure. Um, but upon going, I would, cause I was the planner. So I'm running around, I'm, I'm greeting everyone yeah, as they're hosting. walking the door I'm, like, introducing people. I'm, I'm like, making sure I remember people's names. Mm-hmm. I'm, like, making sure I point out, like, what they've been doing. And then uh, I hear afterwards about some people, like, half the people were terrified about mm-hmm. going. Yeah. And how they were like, oh, I, I wasn't going to go. And then mm-hmm. the last minute I thought, okay, maybe I'll go. And I'm like, so a lot of people are really busted up about it because of this idea of not fitting in. Mm-hmm. And... I guess I just felt like I always fit in growing up. <laughs> so, or I, I don't know. I, I, I definitely didn't feel like I fit in a lot. But I must have felt like I fit in enough. You know what I mean? I must have felt like I fit in more than other people did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because I definitely had a sense growing up that I didn't fit in mm-hmm. and I wanted to fit in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's normal development. Right. But I must have not nearly been as bad as other people mm-hmm. and and as an adult, not as bad. Because I have some friends who are like pretty cool mm-hmm. cats. Yeah. And they were pretty scared about going. So, Interesting, huh? Yeah. So you're, you don't even go. No. So, yeah. No, it's pretty far away.
1: It's at yeah. Thanksgiving time, so there's lots of obstacles for me. But Yeah, I hear but, that some people have their reunions on Thanksgiving. Yeah. Ours is, uh, I think, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Because people
0: figure they come home. They come
1: around the yeah. town. Yeah.
0: We were thinking about doing that next
1: time. Anyway. Yeah.
0: Um, deep down, I don't really know what I want. Yes. Most of my big decisions were made with other people in mind. Mm, no. When I meet someone new, I put a lot of effort into making them like me.
1: Mm, sometimes. No, 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 no.
0: Okay. No. I often try to recall praise from others.
1: No, I don't often try to do that. Okay. It
0: doesn't seem like you really have this one either.
1: I had the first four or five.
0: Uh, oh, you did? Yeah. Okay. Well, let's see if you have some of these coping. So surrender would be trying to impress others and engaging in intention-seeking behavior.
1: Maybe a little. Yeah. Uh,
0: avoidance would be avoiding situations that could involve approval or disapproval.
1: Becoming, yeah, yeah, to some degree.
0: Because I guess not going to your reunion would right. be a part of that. Right. Overcompensation would be acts in a way that garners disapproval from other people. No, oh God, no. I don't understand that at all. So I think we gotta pause, Bob, because you gotta go soon.
1: Oh um, well I got uh I got
0: fifteen minutes. Yeah, I don't want to be against the wall. So um let's just let's just say that this is part one, and then we'll do part two the next yeah, time next time um so how was this so far
1: Oh um well, the first part was really provocative, and the second part as we go through these eighteen um other schemas schemas yeah um uh, is not provocative it's interesting and um what i one of the things I'm noticing is the things i don't do and how i don't relate to those things. Like uh seven, eight, nine, I think. I don't I don't really do. Um uh, Yeah, it's weird
0: how some of the schemas you were just like, yep, every single one, yeah. hardcore, totally nailed me. Yeah. And then other ones you're like, nope, 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 nope.
1: nope and nope. it's interesting
0: to think about these other schemas that other people would be like, Yep, yep. that nails me, that nails me. You know right. it's
1: kind of interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um it seems entirely accurate and it's consistent with what I know about myself and also, and I can't say specifically, it has stretched my um, uh, knowledge a bit of who I am, what I, how I work.
0: Because to hear these statements. Yes. So I think that's part of the schema therapy uh, benefit is that it's not reinventing anything. It's mm-hmm. not, or it's not inventing anything. Mm-hmm. But it's putting in words, mm-hmm. things that we know conceptually and could probably drum up, but to see it yeah. codified like this, in this standardized uh, statements Uh it's like oh so other people have that too right it's not just i know i know intellectually but wait if you're putting this into a system right like a personality trait that is common to a lot of other people there are other people who think that because i wouldn't think anyone else would think that because why would they think that right like i know i I know it's okay for me to think that because I am sh- I should be ashamed of myself, but other people shouldn't be ashamed why so other people are thinking you yeah. know it has this interesting you step outside of the statement a little bit, bit you yeah. kind of
1: look at it mm-hmm. right, yeah, yeah, the unthought known uh, gets uh, put into words, yeah, the thing that we know to be true that we haven't articulated to ourselves, right that's what my experience of this, yeah, yeah,
0: and i could see this being helpful to clients in that way Mm -hmm. particularly because they don't have as much time or have put as much effort into exploring these Mm -hmm. kinds of things and i think it'd be good for students too right Mm -hmm. oh for sure yes oh yeah Yeah, therapy students to to identify oh yeah i i have that schema Mm
1: -hmm. other people don't (laughs) yeah um Okay, and to be familiar with schemas that people would hold even if I don't hold them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To, to be familiar. Oh, uh, so
0: that's a thing? Yeah. Like other people have that that much of that yeah. statement? Like I'm surprised, you know, because I, I've... Because I again, having been introduced to this um, uh, model not too long ago and I would read some of these statements and I was just like, okay, I'll take your word for it, schema therapy people, but do people actually agree with the statement, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, there's something wrong with me fundamentally. Uh, no one could love me if they really saw the real me. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I've, uh, you know, these, these kinds of statements just like, whoa. Yeah. And, uh, and to hear you actually go, yep, absolutely. A hundred percent. Always mm-hmm. been that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, um, opening. Mm-hmm and uh and interesting and so th- to the students and to you therapists listening out there to know your schemas is to know not only your personal life mm-hmm. uh, path of complication and healing but also with regards to what kind of triggers you're going to have in session and what kinds of th- i mean it has so many implications like one right. is is that when you encounter a client that has that schema how does that complicate things mm-hmm. Because if you believe that to be true, like the world is a dangerous place, and you have a client who also believes the world is a dangerous place, well, you have two people who have a personality trait that is um, distorted. That, that's the whole idea of these schemas, is they're distortions. Yeah.
1: It's an echo chamber, right? a potential echo chamber effect.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And once you detect these schemas in your clients, you know the corrective experiences that they need. Um, and it'll help it's almost like a cultural understanding the the way that yeah when i understand another culture and their and the world they live in and the the um differences between the world i live in and the world they live in it helps me to understand how to reach across to them and to to understand these schemas is right. that thing way for me too it's like oh mm-hmm. wow like that's what it's like for you because mm-hmm. that's pretty intense mm-hmm. and pretty specific and because I've never been there before you know I, I don't know what that's like and to be able to reach out and really get other people which would of course be very therapeutic
1: yeah increase empathy yeah just by increasing understanding so do the schema therapy people have a clinical method yeah,
0: yeah. it's long term <laughs> therapy uh, it's uh, one to two years plus and it's a matter of becoming aware of your schemas uh-huh and then um, knowing how to uh, account for it, I'm. It's, this is my kind of version of their version, but um, knowing how, sort of cognitively identifying them as mm-hmm. distortions, mm-hmm. like you know the notion, like I'm not lovable, that pops into your head. And you're just like, okay, cognitively speaking, in my head, like you say, yeah. I know that that's a distortion. I'm not going to go along with it. And then the the longer term um, goal of basically healing, for, and I think they even use the word heal from one's schemas and how to functionally get your needs met it so it all comes back to that beginning of just like you Mm -hmm. know like the i am defective for example schema is a reaction to not getting a need met of i am lovable Mm -hmm. or that people are trustworthy or good or or nurturance or Mm -hmm. acceptance of my soul Mm -hmm. and so we all have that need of acceptance and you didn't get that growing up Mm -hmm. And so, as so, you developed a, you had to develop some schema to react to that. It's like, why am I not getting this notion? I have this need to be accepted. Why am I not getting that need met? Well, it must be because I'm defective. And you just develop this personality trait. Then you look for things to identify. Well, that's why I'm defective. Mm. But really, it's just this general sense like I'm defective. Yeah. I'm, I'm not worthy of being acceptable or being treated in an acceptable manner. And so then that then we go back to the beginning. I was like, okay. Well, how can you functionally get your acceptance needs met aside from not doing the coping mechanisms of putting the self down? You know, that's surrendering oneself to the I'm defective. Okay, fuck it. I guess I am defective. I'll I'll just beat myself up or avoiding, you know, avoiding uh, telling people what my true self Mm -hmm. because I I can't I'm not going to. But that again it perpetuates it the schema yeah. or are overcompensating overcompensating by becoming perfect or criticizing other people right you know all these things are maladaptive coping because they are reactive to the i'm defective schema but they keep the i am defective schema in place that's what makes
1: them maladaptive is they keep the schema going
0: right so yeah. the adaptive coping would be like slowly allowing oneself to express your true feelings and allowing yourself to come out which i'm guessing you're doing with your therapist and realizing that you can be accepted uh even at your most shameful area in your life that uh-huh. you're still acceptable and non-rejectable and although it might be mis- a little unfortunate it, or maybe greatly unfortunate it doesn't mean you're overall unacceptable or mm-hmm. something you know and uh, rejectable and mm-hmm. unlovable um and through that healing process That's an adaptive reaction to that schema. And it heals it over time, and the schema begins to change Mm -hmm. because of of actual experience.
1: Yeah, experience is the change agent. Yeah. Not
0: cognitive knowledge. Right. Yeah. I don't know if schema therapy would word it exactly the way I'm wording, because I'm inserting all my interpersonal psychodynamic stuff in there, but I'm guessing it's similar. They'd probably get in the neighborhood. Yeah.
1: Just maybe different, you know, jargon or whatever. Yeah. Yeah.
0: But it you can see, cool. like, a DBT uh, mm-hmm. module on mm-hmm. these. Like, if, let's identify your schema. Mm-hmm. and, Like, let's identify how you're maladaptively mm-hmm. dealing with the schema and how you can adaptively get your needs met. You know, I just think it's it has the full circle. I, I kind of like that.
1: I like that, too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, thanks for joining me, Bob. And we'll yeah. have to do part
1: two the part next time you come over. Next time.
0: All right. And thanks for joining us out there, patrons. Please take care of yourself. Let me know what you think. And also, if you want to potentially come on the show, uh, and do this, uh, assessment, it, you know, to flesh out this model. Um, you know, we can talk. I, I, am I'm, I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not quite sure how that would work ethically speaking since I'm a clinician and I don't know you the way I know Bob. Um, but I don't know, maybe some maybe something, or maybe you could just follow along on the podcast and just send in your thoughts as to, Oh yeah, I meet this one and this is my experience. And maybe you could, change this part of the schema, like tease this out or something. I don't know. That that definitely would be helpful to me. And let me know what you think. And uh, as always, you can um, email me and I can forward to Bob any thoughts that you have, which I always do. Yeah. And please take care of yourself because regardless of your schema, you deserve
1: it.